You are now listening to The Last Day's Return of the Historic Faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hello, my brothers and sisters, and welcome to Kingdom Christian Assembly. I'm your pastor, and I am so very, very glad to be back behind the pulpit for our first service, although it's not our first official service, our official service will start next Sunday on the website, and if any of you don't know how to get to the website to get into the assembly and watch live by the time we start next week I will make sure that you all know how to do that Um, before we start our message today I want to uh, go to the Lord in prayer and make a couple of announcements. Uh, I uh, I don't want to I don't want to take too much time. We already started a little earlier than we were originally going to start. We were originally going to be starting at 11:30, but because we have literally so much to cover this morning, I decided to go ahead and start at 11.15. Now, before we begin with in the Word, I'm going to go ahead and open us up with the Word of Prayer. So if you would, bow your hearts and bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you now, Lord, and I thank you so much for waking me up this morning and giving me another day to live. Father, I thank you for allowing me to share your word with those who you would have to hear it. Father, I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross, fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and speak Father, may the words that I say today not be mine, but be from the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that I say no more and no less than you would have me to say. Lord, as we go to your word today, I pray that you would just open the hearts and the minds of the people who are watching from home. I pray that you would just allow absolutely everyone who needs 
is to hear this message, to be able to hear it, Father. I pray that you give them the ears to hear and the mind to understand, Father. Lord, I ask all these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be actually going through quite a few places in the scripture today. If any of you have ever heard me preach, you know that I move around in the Word of God a lot. And if you are not able to follow along, I understand. But I do ask that you write the scriptures down so that you can study them on your own at a later time. Because the scriptures we're going to be going through today are extremely important. Today we are going to be talking about a subject that has never been more important in any other time in history. We're going to be talking today about the sheep and the goats because we are living in a time where the sheep and the goats are going to be separated very, very soon. Now, a lot of you know that Brother Matthew Marcel and I do a podcast called Return of the Historic Faith. And although we quote a lot from the early Antinicene Fathers, the focus of the podcast is the historic faith of the Apostles as was handed down by Jesus Christ. And Although we're not going to be talking at all about the podcast today, I bring that up because the early church and the historic faith centered on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And today we are going to start off with the most fundamental teachings of Jesus Christ that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before we start reading the Word of God, I want to tell you all a quick story. I was watching a preacher on YouTube not too long ago, and I watched it again this morning to refresh my memory on it. This pastor was actually speaking about the Sermon on the Mount. And he was talking about how the Sermon on the Mount was strictly for the audience that Jesus was speaking to. How it was strictly for the Jews. That it absolutely was not for you and I today. Brothers and 
sisters, this is 100% wrong. This is a perfect example of a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he's not the only one I've heard preach this. I've heard pastors go so far as to say that if we ask forgiveness of our sins after we have entered into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, whichever you want to refer to it as, then we are literally crucifying Christ all over again. That is heresy and from the pits of hell. Now we're going to start today, I want to show you, the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, but right before Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 4, it shows our Lord, who was 100% man and 100% God, in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and his temptation. This is right before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Now, all throughout his temptation, and actually throughout his entire life, Jesus Christ went through every temptation that you or I went through. There's nothing that you or I, as men and women, especially as men, that we have felt or gone through temptation-wise that Jesus Christ did not also go through himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus went through more temptation. Now, he was the Son of God and he was God in the flesh, but he was also 100% man. And the same as any world leader who rises up the ranks of the politics of whatever country that they happen to be in, the same that Jesus went through, they also will have to go through. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire temptation of Christ, but I...
Holy Spirit came on him and the other disciples. Now, turn back to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Starting with verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and, he, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now this is where a lot of people get mixed up and this is where a lot of people go astray you know a lot of people think that the law that Jesus is giving the commands Jesus is giving in Matthew 5 through 7 go along with the Old Testament Old Covenant law of Moses but friends as good as the moral law of God is, Jesus came bringing in the new covenant. Now, I am not against my Torah observant brethren. If someone wants to keep the feast of the Lord and uh, keep the Sabbath day and be Torah observant. 
to be closer with the Father, I have zero issue with that. However, my issue comes in when they teach and tell others that they must do the same to be saved or they must do the same if they are saved or after they are saved. Friends, by, let's say, uh, the beginning of the second century, by 100 AD, 90% of the church was Gentile. There were Jews in the church, of course, and it was Jewish believers who started the church. This is why the Bible says that the gospel was to the Jew first and then the Gentile. However, by the year 100 AD, the church was 90% Gentile. Now, in Acts chapter 15, we have what's called the Jerusalem Council. The reason for the Jerusalem Council and the Jerusalem Council is the most important council that has ever been held in all of Christianity because... We know that there have been other councils throughout the history of the faith. The Council of Nicaea is one of the ecumenical councils that, you know, people know very well. However, the Council of Nicaea was a council that was created by men that was presided over by a pagan emperor it was literally the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. This is not the case with the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. In Acts 15, you have Paul and Barnabas who were with the Gentile believers, I believe in Antioch. I could be wrong about that. I'd have to turn to Acts 15 and I'm not going to because this is kind of like a side note for you to study on your own after today's service. But I want to say Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch and the Gentiles were receiving the Holy Spirit the same as the Jews. And there were among the church in Antioch those that the Bible calls Judaizers. And they were insisting that the Gentiles be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul and Barnabas did not agree with this, but to do things the biblical way, they went to Jerusalem and they met with the leaders of the church, the apostles. And there were Pharisees who were also believers at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And they agreed with the Judaizers that 
The Gentile believers should keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. However, it was James, the brother of our Lord, who spoke up and said to all in the council, but specifically to the Pharisees, why, now I'm paraphrasing of course, but why would we uh, put this yoke on our brethren, which neither we nor our fathers were able to keep? And James literally calls this yoke a hindrance. Now, I say that because one of the very important things I want to get across today is the many, many, many false teachings and false teachers that are inside the church today. First of all, there is not supposed to be all of these denominations and the separation of the gospel. But there is. Now, some of these denominations follow the teachings of John Calvin. They're Calvinists. Some of these denominations follow the teachings of Martin Luther. Some of these denominations follow both John Calvin and John Nelson Darby. However, my point is almost all of these denominations follow the doctrines of men. Now, there is another side to this coin, and it's not denominational. There are those who have seen the problems within the denominational churches who have left to seek the truth to come out of Babylon, as I hear it called so very often. But in their attempt to come out of Babylon and start some are home churches, some are uh, virtual house churches, but in their attempt to leave the false doctrines of men that are in the denominations, instead of following what we are going to see today as the doctrine of Christ, they have become like the Judaizers in Acts 15. Now in Acts 15, at the Jerusalem Council, it was settled whether or not we should have to follow the law of Moses or be circumcised. Now in this day and age, uh, many, if not most, babies are circumcised, but it's usually for, um, it's, it's not for religious practices and it's not done by a rabbi, it's done for sanitation. 
It's done for health reasons in a hospital by the doctor. And there's nothing wrong with it. But friends, if we are followers of Christ, then guess what? We don't need the circumcision from the old covenant law of Moses because we...
as well as the rest of his teachings that we as his followers have the ability to live without sin. This is why so many pastors who are literally false teachers do not believe that the Sermon on the Mount nor the teachings of Jesus Christ are for believers because they do not believe it's possible to live a righteous life. And I'll say this, it's not possible for you nor I to live righteously through our own strength because we are fallen human beings. However, once we have been born again into the kingdom of God, guess what? We have been made new creations. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. John says, I write these things unto you that ye sin not. And if any may sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We can be righteous because we have an advocate who is righteous, who also resides within us. But only, only if we abide in Him as the book of John says. And he is the procreation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if what? If we keep his commandments. I know him, or excuse me, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. The very first passage of scripture that we read today was Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. How did he walk? What did he do? He resisted Satan and he quoted scripture to him and Satan had no choice but to flee. John says that if we walk the way Jesus walked, 
then he abideth in him. And Jesus says that if we love him, we will abide in him. And if we abide in him, he will abide in us. See, so many times in this watered-down grace, greasy grace gospel that is preached from pulpits all over America, we are told that we have this promise in Jesus and that promise in Jesus, but every single time they take out the ifs. If you take out the ifs from the gospel message, you are left with another gospel and another Jesus. John says, Brethren, I write no new commandment which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and, ha and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. What John is saying is the very same thing Jesus said. It's nothing new. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light or abideth in Christ. That's fruit, by the way. Loving your brother. Loving your enemy. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome that wicked one. So therefore love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, guess what? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world 
passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Friends, we are coming so close to the time when this world is going to pass away. The Bible says that the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. This entire world, all that you see, the trees, the clouds, the air, the sun, the moon, the stars, it's all going to pass away. And a new heaven and a new earth is going to come down. New Jerusalem. And guess what? If you are in Christ Jesus, you are already a citizen of New Jerusalem in the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are to walk as if. That is the thing that most evangelical pastors do not understand and therefore do not preach from the pulpit. Because Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven in with him when he came in his first advent, those who are abiding in his love who are in Christ Jesus and have the love of the truth are citizens of heaven and are to behave like citizens of heaven. Now friends, if you are citizens of heaven, guess what? You will not sin. Does that mean you will never commit a sin? No. But what did we read just a minute ago in 1 John? That if we sin, we have an advocate who is Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to read just a couple more scriptures before we close. Now, I've talked about the wolves in sheep's clothing. That that wicked one, Satan, the prince and God of this world, is using to sift us as wheat. We read in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31, where Jesus told Peter that Satan had desired to sift him as wheat, but Jesus prayed for him and that when he was converted that he should exalt his brethren that he should show his brethren the right way live as such show them how to avoid being sifted Satan will sift us through the sifting of our time, through the sifting of our spirit, through the sifting 
of our very lives, the way that we live through tip.
In Revelation 2 and 3 was written to actual assemblies that were full of actual believers. And any one of us could fall into any one of these categories. Therefore, if we listen to what Jesus says to them, and we follow what he says the same as if we follow what he says in the rest of his teachings, then, guess what? We abide in him, and he abides in us. The first letter says this in chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now we know Paul wrote to the Ephesians. The Ephesians were the church that Paul wrote to. We read the book of Ephesians. That is the book we go to for spiritual warfare. To know how to wear the whole armor of God. To know about the principalities and powers and rulers of uh, wickedness in high places. church of Ephesus write these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks who are the seven golden candlesticks the seven churches in Revelation I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So we see the church in Ephesus, they had discernment. They were able to spot these wolves in sheep's clothing, these false apostles. But Jesus isn't finished. He 
says, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So we see that Jesus is exhorting them. He's praising them. So you would think that they have nothing to worry about, right? Jesus says all these wonderful things about them, things that some of us, myself included, cannot always claim. However, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Have you loved, left your first love? I hope not. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first words. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now, if nothing else I've said today makes you think, what I just read should make you think. Jesus is talking to believers. He's talking to those inside the kingdom of God. He praises them more than a lot of us deserve to be praised. But after that praise, what does Jesus say? He says, they have left their first love. And that they need to remember from whence thou hast fallen and repent and do the first words. Or else what? Or else he will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place. Jesus literally tells them he is going to take them out of the kingdom of heaven. The candlestick is the church, people. He's going to remove them as a church unless they repent. But thou, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Friends, we have to overcome. It's not time to lay down. It's time to overcome. Trust me, I know better or just as good as anybody else how hard things get sometimes. I want to quit. I want to lay down. But I know because the Bible says so that if I lay down and if I do not persevere and overcome, then everything I have done thus far was for nothing. The 
next church is unto the angel of the church of Smyrna. Now, Jesus is literally writing here. This is one of the reasons Matthew and I do quote from the early church fathers, the Antinicene fathers. This is John writing these letters. The second letter he writes is to Smyrna. Jesus tells him to write the letter to address it to the angel of the church in Smyrna. The angel in the church of Smyrna is not an actual angel. It makes no sense for Jesus to tell John to write a letter to an angel, a heavenly being. No. The angel of the church of Smyrna is the bishop of Smyrna. The bishop of Smyrna, when John wrote the book of Revelation, was Polycarp. Polycarp was one of the anti-Nicene fathers. Jesus says, And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulations and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the, of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death, Now, there are seven churches here, but I'm not going to read through all of the churches because we've been going for quite some time and we've read quite a few scriptures, enough to show that we have the ability to overcome. Now, the church in Smyrna, Jesus had zero bad to say about. I don't know about you, but I want to be like the followers in the church of Smyrna. We know that we will suffer persecution. We are coming upon a time that is literally, the Bible describes it as a time of tribulation greater than has ever been before or shall ever be again. And that it will be so bad that except the days were shortened, no flesh would remain alive. That's how bad it's going to get. I know things are bad and I know we feel like they may not can get any worse. We may have buried loved ones. We may have lost children. But guess what? If they are under the age of accountability or 
they are in Christ Jesus, then we haven't lost them. They have just preceded us to paradise. Things are going to get so bad on this earth, we actually should envy them. Now, there's...
church where the pastor is preaching a greasy grace gospel, run! Run! Get out of there. Get your children out of there. There's no time for playing games. Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly and even I am at the door. 
If that was true 2,000 years ago, how much more true is it today when the technology finally exists for the Antichrist to rise to power and there to be a one world government, a one world monetary system, and a one world religion. Never before in all of history has there been a way for the things in the book of Revelation to come to pass. There now is a way. I'm not a date setter, and I never will be. When I see my king coming, and I see every knee bow and every tongue confess, then I'll set a date. I'll say, today he's come, but not before. But I will tell you this, we are very close. Some even say the tribulation has begun. I can't argue with that. I can't say it's not true. I can't say for sure that it is true because we don't see the man of sin revealing himself. But in truth, the man of sin does not reveal himself until later on in the tribulation. We very well could be living in the tribulation. It could have begun already. There are signs. Jesus gave us the signs to know. And we can look around and see those signs all around us. If the tribulation has not yet started, Believe me, research it. 
say that to say this. If that war kicks off, yes, many will die. I don't know whether it'll go nuclear or not, but I don't see how it couldn't. And if that war kicks off, you can believe the reason it's going to happen will be for the Antichrist to rise out of the ashes. He will be the phoenix rising out of the ashes. The government that rises out of World War III will not be separate governments all over the world. It will be one government, one world government that will be led by one world leader. Now this world leader will be a man to begin with. But we see in Revelation 9, the abyss opens, the angel with the key to the bottomless pit comes and literally opens the abyss. And the fallen from Genesis 6 and Enoch 6 will rise out of the abyss. And Revelation 9 says that they have a king over them whose name Greek is Apollo or Apollyon. Apollo, the light bringer, the sun god, Lucifer, Satan. His name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, the destroyer. When he comes out of that pit, will be when this man of sin receives this deadly head wound. And he goes from being a mere mortal man or a Nephilim. Either way, I don't know. There are some who say one way, some who say the other. But regardless of whether he's a mere man or half man, half angel, he's going to receive a deadly head wound. But instead of dying, he's going to literally be indwelled by Satan. When Apollo rises out of that pit, out of the abyss, he's going to indwell that man. Book of Revelation calls him the beast that was in the past is not because he's received the head wound and also is in the abyss. But it says he was, he, he was, is not, and rises out of the abyss. So when he rises and indwells this man of sin, we now have for sure a Nephilim. And we now have 
the Antichrist, the beast. Revelation 13 says that, Behold, I stand on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. The sea always represents the abyss. in Revelation 13 is the same thing that happens in Revelation 9. We are almost there, friends. The time to play is over. The time to say, well, we're not going to divide because they only believe a little different than we do. Well, is what they believe that's different? Is it different where the teachings of Jesus Christ are concerned? Is what they believe, does it go against what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount? What the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John teaches? Is it different than the letters that Jesus has John write to the churches in Revelation because if it's different than that, it's time to separate. There is only one way to salvation. There's not 40,000. Everybody can't be right. Jesus taught two ways. And only two ways. One way that leads to life that is a narrow way that has a narrow gate entering that way. And Jesus said that only few find it. So friends, if the majority believe this, that goes along with the second way. Because the second way is the broad way that leadeth to destruction. And many find and go down it. Friends, I'm not saying that there are no churches in the evangelical community or the denominational system that aren't teaching the Bible. What I am saying is that if you are going to a church or are under a pastor that is preaching anything other than the Word of God, then you need to get out of there. Man's interpretation of the Word of God is not the same as the Word of God. Theology, doctrine, those are man-made terms, or theology is. And any doctrine, I'm going to read one more thing and then we're going to close in prayer. The only reason I want to read this is because I meant to read it earlier and we're talking about the one true way. Now this...
Thank you.